Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is July 19th, 2021, and here with me for our final episode featuring our favorite hits from the 1980s is my friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi, April. Hello, Jen. I think the sound that we're hearing in the background is either very happy people or very disappointed people. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> people are rejoicing. We have enjoyed our songs of the 1980s during these oh. past few episodes. And of course, we'll have our final ones for 1989 today because this is episode 89. Yes, it is indeed. First, let's just remind people about our lighter summer schedule that we're having through August. We're only bringing these episodes to you every two weeks instead of weekly so that we can relax a little bit and have a little bit of summer fun as we hope all of you are as well. Totally. So Jen, I think it's your turn to go first this week. What were your memorable hits of 1989? The first one that I picked is from one of my favorite artists of all times. I'm wondering if you also picked the song. And it's also one of my favorite songs of all times. Hmm. The amazing Sean Colvin and her song, Steady On. That's exactly, that was my first choice. <laughs> well done, Jen. The Venn diagram is firmly established and completely overlapping. <laughs> the Venn diagram really overlaps from mid the mid-1980s oh, on. It does. You could choose so many from that album. That is such a wonderful album, Steady On. Have you seen her in concert ever? Many, many times. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she's wonderful, both acoustic and with a band. Yeah. Excellent choice, Jen. What was your second choice? My second choice, my runner-up is from a woman who's really talented. She's a rapper, she's a singer, she's a songwriter, she's an actress, a producer, and more. From the album, All Hail the Queen, my runner-up choice for 1989 is by Queen Latifah, Ladies First. Great song. I don't know the song. I will go listen to it immediately. But boy, I love me some Queen Latifah. Oh, she's awesome. What a goddess. I love her. She's wonderful. I think she's got... Is she a Leo with a Pisces moon or something? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I love that you just whipped that out. Yeah, I think I remember. Well, somebody who calls herself queen has have to have some Leo <laughs> in her chart. Oh, those are wonderful choices, Jen. Thanks. Great. I fully support them. Thank you. And how about you? I know you had three songs. I picked one of them, so now you're <laughs> down to two. I actually saw another one I like a lot. But I'm going to go with the second appearance on our list of the wonderful Bonnie Raitt. And her song, Nick of Time, which came out mm. that year. Do love her, and I love that song. That's another one. That album, I could choose so many songs. Love her so much. I do, too. And I'm torn. One is really kind of happy and peppy, but I think I have to go with my heart here. And a song that has been one of my favorites for many, many years by the wonderful singer-songwriter David Wilcox, and it's called Language of the Heart. I don't think I know that song. It's absolutely beautiful. Wait till you hear it. I look forward to that. Oh, it's a heart-rending ballad. Now, can I give honorable mention, <laughs> since you pit me at the post with Sean Coleman, to 
Love Shack by the B-52s. I saw them in concert in Milwaukee oh, at Summerfest. What oh. fun. I never saw them. I bet that was fun. The B-52s. Yeah. So that's not an official selection. It will not appear on our YouTube list. But <laughs> I felt that it would be remiss to leave them out because it's such a fun song. If you start that one up at a party, everyone's dancing and everyone's singing. So Hey, it's our last 1980s episode. So I think that you can say three. And because okay. you said a third, I'm going to go ahead and say Closer to Fine by Indigo Girls. Oh, love that one too. I love them. I used to sing that one in my coffee house days. Oh, you did? Yeah, with a couple of musicians that I knew. It was so much fun. Do you have that recorded anywhere that we could all hear? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> afraid not. That's lost to posterity, but it was wow, such a good song. It is a good one. Yes. Thank you to all of you for following us on this sentimental journey of our favorite music of the 1980s. It really has been fun. I know. Listening back to all these songs. It has been because for you and I, this started at least a month prior, maybe two even. <laughs> and we've been listening to 80s songs this whole time. It's been great. And thank you to the few of you who have chimed in on the website, BigSkyAstropod.com. And I think we ha might have had one on YouTube as well. I think someone might have mentioned mm -hmm. a song that they like. Okay. Thank you to all of you for sharing your favorite hits. It's not too late to tell us about all of the ones that you loved. In our previous episode, you'll, all, you'll find them all at BigSkyAstropod.com. I echo what you said, which is it has been nice to hear some of the folks telling us what they like and Indeed. songs that I've even forgotten about and stuff. Me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody brings a little piece of the memory to the great mosaic, the great musical mosaic of the 1980s. I love that. My friend, what do we want to start off this week astrologically speaking? Well, this week we start off with five planets changing signs in the next two weeks, and we'll start with the sun entering Leo, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> on July 22nd at 7.26 a.m. Pacific time. Tell us about this, pal. It is in its rulership. It's the sun entering its happiest, sunniest, boldest sign, Leo, and begins the Leo season. So, of course, this is much happiness for yours truly. You know, the time of year when the sun is going through your sun sign tends to be very nice. The most important aspect I think that the sun will make, at least for the next two-week period, is its opposition to Saturn on August 1st at 11.14 p.m. Pacific time. You know, I've talked about aspects between the sun and Saturn previously. They're uneasy bedfellows at best. The sun, very strong in its own sign, opposite Saturn in one of its own signs, Aquarius. They are evenly matched. But what tends to happen is we're putting out a lot of Leo vibrancy and energy and love and creativity and all that. And Saturn's just holding up the palm and saying, nope, nope, not so fast. Or rather, it says more specifically, what is that going to do to further the aims of society? And Leo's like, I don't care. You know, this is me. This is my creative vision we're talking about. And Saturn's going, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Exactly. Leo's saying, roar! <laughs> so that's what's going on there. The sun entering Leo should, by all rights, be kind of a party. And I think until it gets past that opposition on August 1st, it's somewhat restrained and a little bit blocked. But I think always when we meet with opposition, especially from something like Saturn, what we're supposed to do is learn to give from the heart with authenticity in a way that's absolutely true to who we are, to where we don't need the approval of the outside world. Problem is Leo always kind of depends on 
at least the recognition of the outside world to help us figure out who we are. But this is a period where Leo has to just be willing to stand on its own, create for the love of creating, and not worry about how the audience is going to respond. So it feels kind of blocked, really. And I would imagine a few days after it opposes Saturn on August 1st, it probably squares Uranus then. Right, right. That's in the range of our next episode. Right. But yeah, it'll be getting ready to do that. So that's when the frustration can sometimes build and build and build as the sun's trying to get past Saturn. Mm -hmm. And then it finds an exit route, (laughs) you know, the square, the Uranus, and it acts out and it can be very unpredictable. So it's as though you had a lion in a cage and it's very frustrated and you open up the door and it just comes springing out and there's no telling what it will do. This is just saying when you're feeling that resistance, only let it stop you if it's in response to something you're doing that isn't truly from the heart. If it's something you're doing just to get adulation, applause, then Saturn should stop you in your tracks and remind you that the real reason to do things is because you love to do them. That's the whole theme of Leo and the Leo season. We'll see that to some extent as Mercury enters Leo on July 27th at 6.11 p.m. Pacific time. And in contrast to the sun, which is at its happiest in Leo, Mercury actually struggles a little bit in Leo because it is in the sign of its fall. And Mercury can become, as we've said in the past, a little too subjective when it's very close to the sun or when it's in Leo. Leo! Leo. It's creative. There's that. It's very confident in the way it expresses itself, very communicative and all of that. But it also says, you know, you could afford to listen to feedback from a few people (laughs) (laughs) on the things you're saying. You know, mind you, again, this is especially once we're past the opposition to Saturn. But Mercury and Leo, all things being equal, can be a time for lively self-expression. It will, too, oppose Saturn on August 1st, so that's kind of a big day, at 2.50 p.m. Pacific time. We have both of those planets in Leo making their big face-offs with Saturn on August 1st. And after that, the road gets a little bit easier for having fun, get-togethers, doing things that are artistic, creative, and fun. The next planet entering a new sign is that Venus enters Virgo on July 21st at 5.37 p.m. Pacific Time. Perhaps this might be a good time to make a list of what you value. Huh, April, doesn't Virgo like list making? Well, you tell me, my my <laughs> Libra friend with many powerful Virgo planets. Yes, I definitely would agree with that. Yeah, the things making the pros and cons of any given situation, of a purchase, of a relationship, things that are related to Venus. Venus is considered difficultly placed in Virgo because it is exalted in Pisces, so therefore it's in its fall in Virgo. But I love Venus in Virgo personally. Love it. Married one. I like it so much. (laughs) Venus is very self-possessed in Virgo. And so that's why we say she struggles there, because the job description of Venus is to relate. And the job description of Virgo is to stay whole unto oneself. The two are a little bit contradictory. Venus and Virgo shows love by doing things for you, by making your life easy in some way. It's not going to be mushy. It's going to be practical. 
and Venus in Virgo is a time when often we do curb our spending a little bit. And if we're not curbing our spending, what's often happening is we're reacting to too much mental stimulation and stress. That's the Virgo part. Those are the kinds of things that can trigger unwise purchases or relationship decisions or something for Venus and Virgo. But then Mars enters Virgo on July 29th at 1.32 p.m. Pacific. Yay. Yay. We like that. We'll have Mars returns. We will. We will indeed. You get there first. Mm -hmm. Just by a little. Well, tell the people about Mars and Virgo, Jen. You possess one. You're a little bit of an expert. I mentioned the list-making thing. That's probably some combination of my Mercury and Mars. But I like to do things in a practical way, a way that makes sense, a way that starts from A and goes to Z. How about you? How does your Mars in Virgo show itself? That all resonates for me. The thing of wanting to do things really well, if left to my own devices, I will tend to overcomplicate things a little bit. <laughs> so I have to be aware of that because Virgo is details. It's very detail-oriented. And when you put Mars in there, it can get sort of wound around its own spokes sometimes. Yeah. I think you and I both share a great zeal for doing things in what we consider the right way. <laughs> and that's wonderful as far as it goes. Mars in Virgo, we can expect to see, I didn't actually know when it will leave Virgo. Probably about six weeks, right? Yes. So while Mars is in Virgo, it's a terrific time to dust off old things that you've been needing to take care of because you will get them done. Whatever sign we put it in, it's good at just going ahead and getting it done. I have a box of things that have needed to go to the shredders for about a year and a half to two years <laughs> sitting by our front door. <laughs> I'm getting that done when Mars is in Virgo. That's a perfect activity. This is my pledge. And I have a big sort of basket to my right here that needs some taken care of. So it's a perfect sign for doing things like that. Or any project maybe that you've been having a hard time getting started on. Mars is an initiating planet. So especially if it's something around the house, something you're building, some practical solution to a problem that you find in your day-to-day -day life, something in your work, especially of the nature of teaching or analysis or the other things that we associate with Virgo. This would be a really good time for this. Probably the most important aspect that Mars is going to make in the next couple of weeks is actually the last aspect that it makes while it's in Leo, just before it moves into Virgo. It makes an opposition to Jupiter on July 29th at 8.50 a.m. Pacific time at that very last degree of Leo, 29 degrees and 52 minutes. Jupiter tends to amplify whatever it comes in contact with. And Mars is something we don't necessarily want to have amplified and exaggerated. <laughs> right. If Jupiter has a flaw, it's that it can sometimes make us jump into things without looking, being a little over optimistic, a little impractical, a little irrational in our exuberance. So when Mars comes into contact with that, sometimes Mars just picks up on some of that energy. In this case, it's like Jupiter and Aquarius being the air that fans the flames of Mars and Leo. That could be an interesting day. We'll see how that one plays out sort of between the 28th and the 30th, like a day either side. Look for Mars to try to get out of control 
and might have to put a lid on. Fortunately, Mars then moves into Virgo really quickly, and that is a little more like throwing some earth on a fire (laughs) that it's trying to get out of control. Just tell your Mars to go clean a closet. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly right. It's good for that, too, for sure. Yeah. Next, we have Jupiter retrograde backing into Aquarius on July 28th at 5.42 a.m. Pacific Time. Jupiter will be back in Aquarius through the end of the year, December 28th, at which point it moves back into Pisces again on that date at the end of the year. It moves so fast. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, in Aquarius. Mm -hmm. It went in there in December 29th of 2020, and it went into Pisces already May 13th. So it was just zipping along yeah, and turned retrograde on June 20th. And now it's going to splash around in Aquarius for a little while longer before it turns direct on October 17th. And then as we say, goes back into Pisces on December 28th. So I guess the first thing we would say is something you were working on might have gotten interrupted as Jupiter got out of Aquarius, went into Pisces. You got a little ahead of yourself, maybe, with something. And now Jupiter is going to, you know, it's backed up. It's going to go back in Aquarius and say, okay, let's finish up our big assignment that we had going in Aquarius. Because you only get Jupiter in a sign every 12 years. So you want to make the best of it when it's there. Jupiter is considered a benefic planet, one that is going to bring a lot of good fortune your way, a lot of opportunity for growth. So look to the house of your chart that has Aquarius therein. And look back to, say, May or December through May and think, what was I thinking about? What was I plotting? What was I hoping to do? Could be something with your career. Could be something with a move. It could be traveling of some kind now that that's opening up a little bit more. Revisit those things and see what you might want to finish up. So folks should take advantage of these last five months of Jupiter and Aquarius. Yes. We'll link in the show notes the article that you wrote, April, about how to find a certain point in your chart. Right. You can see where Aquarius is in your personal chart. Absolutely. And have a little video and everything in there. Make it easier for you to find that. Or you could get a reading with April, couldn't they? You absolutely could do that. We could do a whole reading about your Jupiter if you like. Jupiter would like nothing more. (laughs) Jupiter would love that. The more, the better. Yeah. Jupiter's going through my third, and and I kept thinking, gee, you know, maybe I should be writing another book. But everything else in my chart says, are you crazy? That doesn't sound like a good idea at all right now. (laughs) But I'm working on putting some courses together. So I think that works well with Jupiter and Aquarius in the third house. We'll see how that goes. For sure. Jen? Yes? I hate to interrupt you sipping your busy water there, but do you know what time it is? <laughs> well, do you? What time is it? <laughs> it's Moonwatch. Moonwatch. <laughs> Play it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yes, my friends, it's Moonwatch. And and of course, because we're on this abbreviated schedule for the summer, each episode will bring you twice the Moonwatch fun and pleasure. Well, we're going to begin with our Aquarius full moon on July 23rd at 7.37 p.m. Pacific time at one degree and 26 minutes of Aquarius on the Sabian symbol and unexpected thunderstorm. Ooh. But look at the Sabian symbol for the sun at two degrees Leo, Jen. An epidemic of 
<laughs> the mumps. Or as I wrote it, mups. M-U-P-S. An epidemic of the mups. <laughs> of the muppets. <laughs> that sounds delightful. That sounds so much nicer. I would love a mops. muppet epidemic. Mops. That would be great. Here comes Gonzo. <laughs> Animal. Hello, Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog here. Miss Piggy. Well, I mean, it's not a bad looking chart. Of course, the sun's opposed to the moon. That's what it means to have a, you know, a full moon. But really, other than that, the sun and the moon aren't embroiled in too much drama in the sky at that particular moment. The moon's past Pluto and the sun is past its opposition to Pluto. So really, it's not bad. But I have to tell you, those Sabian symbols did give me a little bit of pause because An unexpected thunderstorm is something It's a little bit catastrophic that comes sort of out of nowhere. And then an epidemic, which we hope we are winding down this pandemic, but we are hearing a lot of news of variants and that kinds of stuff. So Mm -hmm. we're just going to have to see how that goes. And perhaps I'm just reading too much into this, but it did give me a little bit of pause to think this is a time to expect the unexpected and be a little safe. So this full moon is the revelation point, the revealing moment in a lunar phase family that began on January 24th, 2020, which was at four degrees and 21 minutes of Aquarius. The first quarter in this family was October 23rd, 2020. We've talked about these lunar phase families before, but basically what happens is with each new moon, you begin a two and a half year cycle in which a particular degree or very close to it in the zodiac is amplified by the lunations. The new moon that was back in January of 2020, around four degrees Aquarius. Then we had a first quarter moon about nine months later that was near that degree. Nine months after that, this full moon, which is where we are now. Then another nine months, we'll have a first quarter. So not only does this full moon take us back to these lunar phase families from late January 2020 and mid to late October, but it would also take us back to two weeks ago, of course, when we had the new moon, as well as six months ago when we had the new moon in Aquarius. And so we might have echoes of that time. Mm -hmm. You know, and this just occurred to me, this full moon is also really close to the degree that Jupiter and Saturn met up at in late December last year. Because I know they met at zero Aquarius or one Aquarius somewhere in there. They did. What do you think of that? You know, we talked a lot about that conjunction. Yeah. And we'll list episodes and a link to them in the show notes. We talked a lot about the Sabian symbol for that combination and and lots of things about it. And that's a good catch. And I think actually this is an opportunity maybe to reassess. I think Jupiter and Saturn, especially if they were contacting something in your chart very closely, something around zero degrees of any sign that especially the fixed signs, Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. I think that when I'm seeing that in people's charts, it seems to mean something specific, that they have some specific role to play in big changes that are happening in the world. Either it has to do with the fact that their profession is going through big changes, especially if they're of a technological nature, communication nature, something like that. Because Aquarius is about communication Mm -hmm. and technology. Right. That is another time to think back to December of 2020 when we have that conjunction. 
and think about what it has stirred up, how that point in your chart, zero Aquarius or nearby, how that area of your life is being stirred up and offering you different opportunities as well as different challenges. So this full moon could really trigger that off. And we're actually going to have a second full moon in Aquarius in four weeks, I believe, because this one falls so early in the sign. We're going to have another one late in the sign in about a month. Right. At about 29 degrees, which also takes us back a little bit to Mars in Leo opposing Jupiter at 2952. So hmm, that brings that into a little tighter focus that Mars-Jupiter opposition on July 29th. Mm-hmm. Then there's another moon watch. <laughs> we have a Taurus last quarter moon on July 31st at 6.16 a.m. Pacific time, 8 degrees, 33 minutes of Taurus and Leo. So with this last quarter moon, the sun and moon, which are always square at a quarter moon, are triggering the Saturn-Uranus square to make up one big whopper of a T-square. Right. So tell the good folks what we do at a T-square, Jen, (laughs) other than screaming and running in horror. A T-square is basically when you have two planets in square to each other and also two planets in opposition to each other. They're all, in this case, in fixed signs. And so what we do then is we look to the fourth leg of that table where there is not a planet. And in this case, we look to Scorpio because that's where the escape hatch is. Yeah, that's the fixed sign that's not represented. That's a concise way to say it. Well, you know, I kind of put you on the spot there. So it's the least I could do to swoop in there. (laughs) That's okay. So what do people do with Scorpio? I mean, more alone time, magic and ritual. I, I always think of as being associated with Scorpio. I think when we get to an impasse, and often when we have this kind of configuration with fixed signs, you find yourself at a stuck point, an impasse where you can't possibly think of a solution, of a way out. And in this case, what I'll often tell clients when they're at a point like that, I say, try ritual. It won't hurt, and it could help. Like, intercede. Go to the gods and say, I'm at a loss. What can you do for me? And Scorpio rules the invisible. The things that we sense are all around us, but we can't see them. We can't perceive them with our senses. So I think it's Well, not a bad thing to try around this last quarter. And Scorpio is a lot about transformation. And so Mm -hmm. if there's something in your life that needs transformation or that you've been waiting to get the energy to go ahead and do something, then this might be a good time. New dishwasher, Jen. Oh, we've been in this house a long time and (laughs) all of the appliances need transformation pretty much. They're dying one at a time. (laughs) I think also, hey, you know, and the transformation thing's really true, but sometimes Scorpio acts on a really literal level. And if you don't acknowledge these forces and this impasse, you could get stuff like plumbing problems, which is another thing that, you know, Jen knows about coming from a family of plumbers. Woohoo. So yes. Scorpio is about the hidden things, the things underneath, the processes in our life that get rid of things, mm-hmm. <laughs> carry them away. So yeah, be kind to your plumbing and, you know, light a candle or something instead, I would say. Anything else come to mind for Scorpio? You're a good Scorpio resource. 
When I think of transformation sometimes, just because of the situation I'm in, I think about transforming something physically. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've been on this journey of learning how to walk again. So for me, it might be something like that. But I know Mars likes to do things that are physical, and Scorpio likes to transform things. So maybe do something that could help transform your body in a positive way. Absolutely. That sounds great. Well, Mars is in, you know, will be in Virgo at that time, and yet yeah, health-related. So it's using your body in a, a way that where you're establishing good new habits, I always think of with Virgo. Yeah, I like that. And Pluto can be good for that too. It has such intense willpower. So use it for good. And if this has been a time that you're thinking about changing habits, you could do worse. The astrologer Daryl Martini, the cosmic muffin. <laughs> You've talked about him. <laughs> he used to say, you know, start those kinds of new habits and routines on a void of course moon. Yeah, that actually comes in the middle of the night on August 2nd at 1240 a.m. Pacific time. But I'll tell you what you do. I don't know how you feel about this, Jen, because I know you used to do hypnotherapy with people. Mm -hmm, I did. But I did have some recordings that I had gotten for good hypnotic suggestions and things like that. Might not be a bad night to have that playing very softly in the background. Things that you know are very positive suggestions for change and letting go might be good. That's a good idea. I thought of something else too. Mm-hmm. Venus rules this last quarter moon in Taurus, and Venus is squaring the nodes. And I've heard that when a planet squares the nodes, it's like a choice point. And we've talked a lot over the last year about the nodes being in Gemini and Sagittarius and how it's important to choose curiosity and open-mindedness, especially as it relates to Venus things, which are values, self-worth, relationships, money. And so if the transformation thing isn't doing it for people, maybe there's a way that you can choose curiosity or choose beginner's mind, as they say in Zen Buddhism. I'll link an article. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. Thanks. And I think since Venus and Virgo and the North Node in Gemini are both ruled by Mercury, it just means, hey, attack the situation with some analysis too. It's all good and well to go into the deep, dark, invisible with Scorpio, which we still recommend. But I think don't abandon rational thought and analysis altogether. Let Venus lead the way towards the North Node with that. They have that in common, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And checklists. Right. Many checklists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> checklists for your checklists. All right. Well, Jen, that's everything we have on the show sheet. Have we done it? We've discussed Muppets. (laughs) We've discussed astrology. Yes, we've done it. Oh, Muppets. That makes me so happy. The episode art for this one's going to be so easy. It's so much fun. Who's your favorite Muppet? I can picture him and I don't know. I have a great meme of him surrounded in flames with his arms up. I love him. That's great. And I love Miss Piggy because she's such a diva. Mm -hmm. And I sympathize with her affection for Kermit. She's clearly a Leo. He's clearly a Pisces. She completely (laughs) overwhelms him. And he's just very sweet, very shy, but she finds him fascinating. I just think they're adorable. Oh, I love the Swedish chef, too. That's excellent. Well, whatever your Muppet of choice is, thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to follow us, rate or review the podcast if you like it. And we hope that you'll spread the word by telling a friend. You can read the show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments, including your favorite songs of 1989. And your favorite Muppet. And your favorite Muppet (laughs) at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. 
We're so grateful to everyone who showed support during our Potathon last fall. Each week, we'll be thanking some of you by name. Who do we have this week, pal? This week, we want to give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to our friends Sheila Miller, Maria Nobre, and Anne Marie Finch. Yay! <laughs> Sheila, Maria, and Anne-Marie, we appreciate you. We really do. And we thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting us during last year's Podathon. You three rock. Thank you. If you're a listener who didn't get a chance to support us during our Podathon, you can always make a contribution at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. And if you donate $5 or more, we'll send you our exclusive Cancer Solstice episode, available only to contributors of the podcast. Oh, very she-she. Mm-hmm. Well, that is it for us this week. Now, friends, as we mentioned at the top of this episode, we are taking a little time off this summer. We will not leave you all together, but we will be releasing episodes every two weeks instead of weekly. Our next episode will reach your eager ears on Monday, August 2nd. In the meantime, let's all get a little rest and relaxation. And remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time.